as many of you know, maybe not everybody, but uh, my wife, Chris, uh, actually, and uh, uh, Maria Agnello, uh, the uh, campus woman intern, and uh, Margaret Lum, and uh, Connie Cosberg are all in Orlando t- 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 today doing the Disney Princess Half Marathon. And, uh, they, uh, they have all completed it. Uh, I'm glad to report Margaret did it in 2.15. And Marie and Connie did it in 2.40. And Chris finished. <laughs> so she called this morning. She was all fired up and happy about it. I guess it was a uh, it was a cool overcast day, so they had the best conditions, uh, you know, for uh, that kind of an activity. And uh, she said they all had a great time. I'm sure you'll see pictures uh, that they'll bring back and all this. But you know, the reason they call this the Princess Marathon is because it's an all female uh, event, and you pick a Disney princess uh, that you are going to be that day. And so uh, I think she was uh, uh, Tinkerbell or uh, one of them, I don't remember which. Uh, Margaret was uh, appropriately Mulan, uh, being the Asian princess. And uh, anyway, uh, they, they, uh, they had a big time. It uh, sounded uh, a little silly to me, but uh, amen. I, I, I think the, uh, the princess half marathon is probably not the one that I want to run in, but amen. Uh, right. we, we'll go there. Right. Okay, we have been working. If you're visiting with us, you may not know this, but uh, you'll, I think, enjoy the study we're going to have here today anyway. But we've been working on our outreach this year, right? Yeah. Trying to reach out to the world, share Christ with the world. Amen. And in Matthew 28, uh, verse uh, 19, Jesus gives what's known as the Great Commission. He says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus wants us to go where? All the world. Make disciples, baptize them, etc., etc. Look over Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. You have another little comment here that Jesus makes about himself. Of course, uh, you know, if uh, we're charged to uh, be like Jesus in the world, then it fits us as as well. Luke 19, verse 10. Jesus says, uh, For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. So Jesus says in a number of different times in his ministry, different things that he wants to do or intended to do. But this one uh, is very clear that he came to seek and save what was lost. Now, a great passage along the idea of our uh, evangelism reaching out to people is over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And that's going to lead us directly into what we're going to be studying about today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. You guys getting those Bibles warmed up? All right, man. You're going to hear me preach, you're going to use your Bible. Bring your Bible with you, whether it's electronic or whether it's just the old paper. Uh, either way. All right. Okay, look at this now. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 11, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands, just as we told you to do, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Your daily life. Now, what do most people do on a daily basis? They go to work. Thus, thus, the title of the sermon for today is What Christians Should Look Like at Work. 
Okay. This is practical Christianity today. We're, we're, we're going to get down and, and really talk about the details of uh, life. What Christians should look like at work. Point number one. Christians should work. Genesis chapter 2. This is Genesis chapter 2. Now bear in mind, in Genesis 2, in verse 15, this is before the fall of man. The fall of man is going to happen in chapter 3. So this is before evil has come into the world. And we're going to look at uh, this whole idea that God expects people to work. Verse 15, Genesis 2, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. Did you notice that? I did. He put him in the Garden of Eden to what? To work it and to take care of it. This is before the fall of man. You know, someone might say, well, hey, the reason we have to work is because mankind sinned and it's a, it's a plague of, of Satan that we have to work. No, the reality is, before evil even came into the creation, it was man's obligation, it was man's purpose, it was the reason that he was put into the Garden of Eden to work. Yeah. You know, sometimes we get an attitude about work. We say, well, why do I have to work? It has always been God's will for man or people to work. Look over chapter 3. Of course, we have the fall of man. In verse 17, this is what God says to Adam after, uh, you know, the, uh, the incident with the tree and, and the fruit uh, of all that. And... Uh, it says to Adam, he said, because you listen to your wife, not that listening to your wife is necessarily bad. Uh, listening to your wife in and of itself may have some real uh, value and virtue. Uh, but in this case, he listened when he shouldn't have, uh, which that can happen too. Uh, and you ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must, that you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat uh, the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. I think it's important us to understand, okay, we had, it was God's will for people to work before evil came into the world. It's still God's uh, will that people work. After the fall of man, although he does put the caveat in here that work's going to be hard. Because if you brought sin into the world, that's going to make work even a more difficult proposition. Look a little further on in time now to the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, Ecclesiastes, of course, written by Solomon uh, in his wisdom that God had given him about life. And that's what Ecclesiastes is really about. It's a study of life. It's an observation about life. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, this is 
Solomon's observation about work or about life as uh, you and I know it. He says, go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife. Now, this is not a, this is not a, a sermon on marriage, but, you know, we've an observation here. You know, you should be happy uh, in your marriage. Uh, whom you love all the days, this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, and all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life, and in your toils and labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for in the grave where you are going, there's neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. Solomon, in his observation, says, hey, work is part of life. It's just part of life. It's not all of life. He misses a number of other things in this context of what he talks about here. Enjoy life with your wife. Enjoy your food, etc., uh, etc. Et but he says work is part of life. Now, as a matter of fact, we've got to really understand this. It's actually wrong not to work. Look over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. See, point number one here is an important point for us to get. It is God's will that you should work. Christians should work. All these points are going to be Christians should something. And this first point is Christians should work. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6, Paul writes here, he says, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourself know that you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we may not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we did not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. It's actually wrong. For a Christian not to work. Now, I'm not talking about when someone gets to retirement age. Obviously, that's a different set of circumstances. I'm not talking about if you're injured in a time in your life, in a period of time in your life, where you can't work because you're physically or whatever, uh, you know, kept from working. But Paul is talking here about people that are idle and sort of taking advantage of the, of the uh, Christians that they live with or they live around. This actually still happens in our world today. That you have single, sometimes it's mostly single, and I don't want to be picking on the singles necessarily, but you'll have single uh, brothers or sisters that they live with other brothers and sisters. They don't have a job, and they're not paying rent. They're not paying uh, their share of the utilities. They're not paying for their share of the food, but they're living in the home, and what are they doing? Basically, they're sponging off uh, the generosity of the other Christians. Paul says here, hey, that's not right. But look what he says as he goes on here in verse 11. We hear that some among you are idle. Wow. This condition is not like we invented it here in 2012. He said, I actually heard some of you guys don't have a job, but you're sponging off the brothers and sisters. They're not busy. They're busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. 
And as of you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but reward him as a brother. He says, listen, that's going to come to a certain point where someone just keeps doing this and keeps doing this and keeps doing this. You've you got to sort of, hey, say, hey, we're not in fellowship anymore. Now, you're not treating him like an enemy. You're treating him like a brother, but you're not kidding. You see, point number one here is very important for us all to digest and really understand. Christians should work. You should have a job. Now, college students, you say, well, I'm in college. You know what? I would be willing to bet that 90% of our college students have a job. I'll go further. I'll be willing to bet 100% of our college students are going to college so they'll have a job. Yes. So pay attention, college students. This is not something you can go to sleep on. Christians should work. And you need to have a great attitude about that. You need to understand that's God's will for your life. You're not being cursed. There's nothing wrong. What's wrong with me? I've got to work. No, you're supposed to work. All of us are supposed to work. That's part of our responsibility to the Lord. Point number two. Christians should understand the real value of money and things. Because if you work, what happens? You get paid! That's one of the coolest things about good work. About you get a job and you get a paycheck. Hot dog. Now the funny thing is, you know, sometimes you get a paycheck and, and when you start paying bills, you're like, oh my gosh, I got paid this amount of money. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I have it uh, in, in my life. I'm sure you, most of you have it in your life too. You get paid and you think, oh, got some money. And then you start paying the bills. You know, and you pay the bills, you're like, oh my, I, had, I thought I had a lot of money, and really I don't have all that much money. Uh, you know, and it sort of dwindles away. But the fact is, if you work, you get paid, and so we need to have an understanding, okay, how should we really look at money and things? Because that's what comes from work, is money uh, and things. Look over to Luke chapter 12. Now, some of you may say, Marty, this is real obvious and real basic. Uh, you know, agreed. It's amazing, it is amazing to me how our grasp of the fundamentals sometimes becomes a little shaky. And we need to go back and re-educate ourselves and re, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, sort of reboot ourselves a little bit sometimes on the very fundamental things of life that are very clear in the scriptures. Jesus here tells a parable and he illustrates the whole issue of uh, of our point here is that Christians should understand the real value of money and things. Verse, nine, uh, verse 16. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Now we would say, hey, this is a good problem to have. This guy's a farmer. He has so much of a bumper crop. He, his crop is so large that he doesn't even have enough storage area uh, to store it. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. In other words, my storage areas, I'm going to increase my storage areas in the barns. And there I'll build, uh, and there I'll store all my grain and goods, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. What is the real value of money and things? It's what we're talking about here. This guy says, hey, I've got got so much of a crop, I've got so much money, I've got to build a bigger barn so I can even store it. 
And then what I'm going to do is I am going to be living large. This is going to be awesome. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. It's going to be clacky time. <laughs> and God says to him, you fool, you, 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 you have no idea. Tonight, your life is over. And he's going to get all that you've prepared for yourself. You know, sometimes that's the way people are in life. is that they work themselves to death to make money so that they can have things but they never really look at the more serious issues of life. Where are you at in your relationship with God? And who will get all these things once you're gone anyway? Look over to Matthew chapter 6. Fundamental of all fundamentals. Jesus is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount about money and things. Matthew 6, verse 19. You guys there? Now you're getting there. I know you're not there yet, but you're getting there. Matthew 6, verse 19. You can't move that quick. I was actually sitting next to someone this morning who had an electronic Bible and, and when Mike Gunson said turn to such and such version or, or verse there I thought okay I'm going to see if he gets there before I do and uh, you know he beat me I say uh, but I got there so even if you do, do it the old fashioned way you know you still get there uh, Jesus says do not store for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy where moth and rust destroy so here's the thing you've got to ask yourself are the things that you really valuable, uh, that, that you value, uh, are they things that can be destroyed? That will, will, sooner or later, they're going to deteriorate, you know, fall apart, that kind of thing? See, Christians should understand the real value of things. How valuable is it if moth and rust will destroy it? In the, in the larger picture of life, you may say, well, hey, this phone cost me $200. Okay, well, it's worth $200, you know, or $700, or wherever you paid for it. But is it really worth that? Is it really worth your life? Can moth and rust destroy it? Or would thieves break in and steal? Can someone steal from you the things that are the most important things? They shouldn't be able to. The most important thing should be things that they can't steal. That's what Jesus is teaching here. He says, But store for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For your treasure is there your heart will be also. Skip on down to verse 24. No one can serve two masters. You'll either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Well, this is hard to misunderstand right here. You cannot serve both God and money. The most important thing in your life cannot be God and money. It's going to have to be one or the other. You're going to have to decide, am I living my life so I can have a better car, a bigger house, a nicer phone? Is that what gets your juices going? Or is my mind captivated by other things? Things of a more spiritual nature. Jesus says here, you can't serve both God and money. You're going to have to make a decision. Where am I when, when, when it really gets down to it? The bottom line of your life. What is important? Is it money and things? Or is it spiritual things? Are you laying up treasures here? Or are you laying up treasures there? It's what you've got to really look at. 
Okay, that's what Jesus is teaching. Now go on, as he teaches here in verse 25, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Jesus is arguing here that there are things that are more important than your clothes. Well, clothing's a big thing for some people. Hey, I dressed myself this morning. My wife is in Orlando, and so I picked out what I was going to wear today. Now, I had the virtue of picking out something that she had picked out for me before, so I just did what, I, 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 I just did what she told me before. But i got to tell you, my life, clothes just don't make that big of a deal. I'm just not that into it, I'm not into fashion, all that kind of thing. I know some of you are. That's not necessarily wrong. We all have certain habits or, or hobbies that we prefer. You know, I, I like golf. I know some of you think, golf, you got to be kidding me. I wouldn't watch, I wouldn't watch golf on, I'd turn television off before I'd watch golf on television. You know, I, I sit here, I'd watch a golf match, and I'm, I'm enthralled, right? you know, and that kind of thing. So we all have our hobbies and those kind of things. But at the end of the day, Jesus says here, hey, isn't life more important than clothes? Isn't life more important than golf? Isn't life more important than sports? Isn't life more important than money? See, Christian has to have a good understanding of the real things of life. Come on down to verse 28. Why do you worry about clothes? See how the layers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, and I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, or you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now, that's interesting. The pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Do we need clothes? Jesus says, absolutely. Do we need sports? Perhaps. Do we need things that interest us? That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's part of our life. It's part of what God created us to be. That's who we all are. Everyone in this room, we may not all have the same interest in in hobbies and and things that captivate our attention and make our life interesting, but I'll bet you it, it would be accurate to say every single one of us have something Are those things in and of themselves wrong? I would say, I would argue no, according to this passage. But they can't be wrong, any one of them. If they rise to the point in your life where they have surpassed your desire in your relationship with God. Clothes. Food. A car. A cell phone. A new kitchen. Any or all those things are not necessarily wrong in and of themselves. They, 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 in the right context, are fine. But when they take an inappropriate position in your life, Jesus is saying here, Things are out of balance in your life. And he goes on, he says in verse 33, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus says, if you just get your priorities right in life, God's going to take care of you. You're going to be fine. So point number two here is very important for us all to understand and digest. You need to understand the real value of money. 
in things. It's not that they're not valuable. It's not that they're not important. But they can't take an inappropriate position of importance in your life. You understand what I'm saying? Those things about us actually make us interesting sometimes and make us, make us a, a, a person that, that has some uh, personality and some uh, attractiveness uh, about us. We're not just bland. We're not just all uh, vanilla, if you understand what I'm saying. We have things that we, that we are interested in and, and that we enjoy in life. You know, sometimes people get the idea that Christians are so, they're so straight down the middle of the road that, that they're all boring. Well, you know what? I would hope that I uh, uh, am not boring uh, in, in life. I, I, I would hope that I'm not. Now, I'm sure in, in, in comparison to some people, you might say, well, yeah, you're, you're boring. Because, you know, you don't, you don't go out and do this and you don't go out and do that. But Jesus says, okay, these things are, are in our life. They just can't be inappropriately important in our life. They have to take a proper position. You know, for instance, and I know probably for most of you this is not an issue. The Daytona 500 is on today. You know, hey, you know what? I could care less about the Daytona 500. I'm not DVRing it. I don't care who wins it. I don't know who's running in it. I don't know what number is on their car. All those kind of things. There are some people in this world. I'm telling you, they are in the NASCAR. To me, it's just left turn all the way. You know. Really, it doesn't get my juices flowing. You know, I, it just really, I got to tell you, that's, it's just not a big deal. Right. Now, now let, uh, be honest. Don't, don't feel bad. Is anybody here a real NASCAR guy or girl? Wow. Okay. Well, this is really not a NASCAR place. Okay. You know what? If we were having church in Fontana, it might be a different thing. <laughs> I'm not saying anything about the people that say it's where the California Speedway is, Larry. You didn't know that, did you? See? You're not in the NASCAR. You, you will lose your salvation over NASCAR? See, for all of us, we're not NASCAR people. You're like, you've got to be kidding. Really? It's just a redneck thing anyway. How stupid. How be stupid enough to lose their salvation over NASCAR. Okay, but let's start let's start talking about your life. And I bet you with every one of us, we find something in your life that may not be the same thing than the person next to you. We're going to find something in your life that is really captivating, that is really interesting, that is really something that means something to you. Now let's have a discussion. Those things in and of themselves are not wrong. But if they take an inappropriate position in our life. See, we have to understand the value of money and things. Would it be nice for me to have more money in my savings account? Sure it would. Would it be nice for the value of my home to be more than it is? Sure. Would it be nice if I had more money in my retirement account? Sure. I mean, we could go down. I could make a list of a dozen things here that I could say, absolutely, come on. I'm fired up. But I've got to understand the real value of any or all of those things. If any of those things become the driving force in my life, they've taken an inappropriate position. Jesus gets really, it really 
personal on this thing. When he says, no one can come to me unless you hate your father and your mother, your wife and children, your brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Jesus even gets down to our family relationships. He says, you've got to make sure that even your relationship with your parents, even your relationship with your children is not inappropriate in its value in your life. Hey, I have a wife. I have children. I, have, I still have my mother that's alive. Is it right that I love my mother? Absolutely. I'm commanded by God to love my mother. 56 years old, I still love my mother. She's still my mother. You understand what I'm saying? She didn't stop being my mother when I went over 50. I love my children. And I should. But if they become inappropriately important, if they become more important, if it's more important for me to please my mother than it is to please God, my mother's becoming an inappropriately important person in my life. If it becomes more important for me to please my children than it is for me to please God, my children have taken an inappropriate position of importance in my life. There's only one Lord in our life, and that should be Jesus. Amen? Amen. And that's what we're saying here. Christians have to understand the real value of money and things. Point number three. Christians should let their light shine in this area of our life. Of course, we know the passage. We're there in Matthew. So look over to Matthew 5. You there? No, you're not. You're getting it. And that's okay. Matthew 5, verse 14. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Jesus is arguing here that a Christian should let their light shine. He used the illustration of lighting a candle. You don't light a candle and put it under the, the, uh, the, the, the furniture. You light a, lamp, a, a, a candle in a dark room and you put it in an elevated place so that its light will illuminate the whole, uh, the whole room, right? He's saying you are the light of the world by how you behave so that people will see your good deeds and glorify God uh, in, in, in our life. I'm going to talk about this from two different angles. Number one, if you're the boss... We're talking about how Christians should be at work, right? Some of you guys are the boss. Look over to uh, Colossians 4, verse 1. You're the boss. Not Bruce Springsteen, but you're the boss. Amen. College students didn't get that. They don't know who Bruce Springsteen is. They're like, oh, this is amateur hour here. Everyone who's 30 and above knows it. You know, Bruce Springsteen is. <laughs> Appreciate that, Carlos. Now you say masters. Oh my goodness, masters. Well, masters is part of what they had then that we don't have now. But the concept is those of you who are the boss at work, you're, you're the one in charge. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. How should you be? Let's suppose that you're the boss at work. How should Christians be at work if you're the boss? You should treat your employees fair. You should be honest. Shouldn't be messing them around. Your behavior toward them needs to be exactly how you would want God to treat you. Look over to Ephesians 6. 
We're going to go back and forth between Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3 there. Uh, so, you know, you can just flip back and forth. In uh, verse 9, And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no favoritism with him. He says, hey, you treat your, your employees fair. You, you, there's no favoritism. You, you, you be kind. You be generous. Uh, you, you treat them, you know, the, the golden rule comes into play here. You treat them as you would want to be treated. If you're the boss as a Christian, the people under you should know who you are. They should know you're a Christian. They should know because you're a Christian, you treat them in a certain way. You're not trying to cheat them out of their wages. You're not, you're not trying to mess up their, mess around with their lives. You're letting your light shine. If you're a Christian and you're the boss, it should be a blessing to work for you. People that are under you should say, I am glad I have this job and I'm glad I am under the supervision, uh, supervision of, of, of so and so. Who, you know, Tom, Mary, whoever you are, if you're the boss. You should make it a goal of yours that they never have a better work environment than the work environment that you provide for them. That you are there early. That you are greeting everybody. Hey, great to see you. You know, your spirit, your attitude. You're letting your light shine as the boss. You're not grumpy. You're not, you know, messing people around. You're not in it for you. You're not taking money from them. They should understand that you are a child of God, and because you are a child of God, you are holding yourself to a higher standard than whatever standard the company you work for has. There shouldn't be a company in the world that has a higher moral standard than a Christian should have for themselves. And how you treat people. Okay, now let's talk about, and this may involve more of us, is employees. Since you're here in Ephesians 6, stay there. In verse 5, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, and with the sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good He does, whether He is slave or free. Now look over to Colossians 3 there, and we'll, 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 we'll combine these two passages. Verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do, and do it not only when their eyes on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work in it with all your heart. It's working for the Lord, not for men. So you know that, that you receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. How should a Christian act at work? What should a Christian look like at work? That's our title today, right? Point number three is Christians should let their light shine. Your light should be shining because an employee, you are working. You're working hard. You're not just working hard when the boss is looking at you. You're working hard when you're at work. You understand what I'm saying? There should be no question about you or whether you're stealing stuff out of the supply room. There should be no question about whether you're lying about what time you came into work and what time you left work. There should be no question about you in any of those regards because your behavior at work is letting your light shine. A Christian at work should be the hardest worker in the workplace. 
their integrity, their spirit, their attitude, on a daily basis, should be exemplary. There should be nobody at work that has a better spirit, attitude, and performance than a child of God. You're not gossiping. You're not slandering. You're not hanging around a water cooler. You're not, you're not on Facebook when you should be, you know, doing something else. Trying to bring up my examples here. Trying to, re- try to relate to a younger generation, if you understand what I'm saying. Whether you're the boss or whether you're the employee. If you're a child of God, what should a Christian look like at work? They should be letting their light shine. Now, what did Jesus say? Why was a Christian supposed to let their light shine? We need to understand, what's the purpose of letting your light shine? He says, a Christian should let your light shine. Let's go back and look at it so you'll understand it, because I want you to really read this. This is is really important. Letting your light shine, you're not just being a goody two-shoes here. Oh, there's Mr. Christian. You know, there's Mr. Christian. She's just so sweet. Verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You're supposed to have an influence. You're working among the pagans. You're working among the unsaved. How are they ever going to be saved if they don't know you're a Christian, first of all? First of all, they should know you're a Christian. Shouldn't be, there shouldn't be two ways about that. No undercover Christian here. You're out and open. You know? You're not in the closet. You're not a closet Christian. You understand what I'm saying? This is who I am. This is what I believe. And I tell you, don't get me off on this. It annoys me to no end when Christians take this little passive little attitude in life. We get everybody else in the world. They say, hey, that's who I am, get over it. I'll tell you what, Christians shouldn't be the the sissies of of the block here. If you're a Christian, if Jesus is the Lord of your life, you shouldn't be ashamed of it. I said, so you, 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 you let it be known, that's who I am. And now your good deeds, so they're going to see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You're going to influence them. You're going to save some of them. Because of your righteous and your good behavior. Some of them are going to come to church. Some of them are going to come to Bible talk. Some of them are going to read the Bible, study the Bible. They're going to be baptized. They're going to be your brothers and sisters in Christ because of the way you behave at church. It's the way you behave at work. You're not a Christian on Sunday morning, and, and you're just as pagan as anybody else you know, starting Monday morning at work. You're a Christian at church, and you're a Christian at work. So they will come to know Christ. That's what we're looking at. Why, why, why did Paul say, let your daily life win the respect of outsiders? What is he talking about? Outside of what? 
He's saying outside of the Lord, outside of the church, outside of salvation. They're going to see your life. And they'll respect it. No, they may not walk up to you and say, I want to tell you I respect you. As a matter of fact, they may gossip behind your back. And it may take a month, it may take a year, it may take ten years. But they'll observe your life, they'll see your light shining. And prayerfully and hopefully is one of the ways that you will soften their hearts and they'll be interested in becoming a true child of God. See, that's really what we're looking at here. How can we be more effective in our evangelism? Well, what do we do on a daily job, or a daily basis? We have a job. Then we go to work. Okay, so now we, we, we've got to understand, going to work is not, okay, well, I wish I could go evangelize. No, when you go to work, you're going to evangelize. You may not share your faith with someone, invite them to church that day, but by the behavior of your life, you are sharing your faith. Your light is shining at the workplace. Now, should you invite them to church? Should you invite them to a Bible study? Surely, or maybe, maybe not. If the circumstances is not proper or not correct in some circumstances, then you're going to have to figure out how to work that out. In some cases, it surely wouldn't. And you're going to have to use good judgment in that regard. But there should be no job that should require you to act like a non-Christian. As a matter of fact, if your boss expects you to behave like a non-Christian, you need to get another job. If it's a requirement of your job to lie, to steal, to deceive, you got the wrong job. There are plenty of jobs in the world. You need to get one where it isn't required that you, that you sin on, on, a, you know, on, on a consistent basis. There are just some jobs that Christians shouldn't have uh, because of their moral... Uh, condition and, and uh, the responsibilities that you have. Let's seek and save the lost at work. You with me? God bless.